Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Well, we're going to hand out a little gift for you all. Psalm 23. Okay, we've got a little bookmark, okay? And uh, our team, our host team, going to hand them out. Week two into this series. And uh, who knows this is a beautiful psalm. And, you know, this is not the funeral psalm. Everyone thinks it's the funeral psalm. We read it at funerals. No, this is a life-giving, hope-filled psalm. And so I really want to encourage us. And uh, you're going to need this. You're going to need this this week. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But in this psalm, there are 17, 17 promises. I'm going to read them out to us. And I've also highlighted them on your little book card. The Lord is my shepherd, my relationship. I shall not want my supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures, my rest. He leads me beside the still waters. He is my way. He restores my soul, my healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, my direction. His namesake, my purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is my teacher. I will fear no evil, my protector. For you are with me, my friend. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, my guide. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my hope. You anoint my head with oil, my anointing. My cup runs over, my abundance. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, my blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, my security, forever and ever my future. Isn't that incredible? 17 promises that are hidden in that one psalm. And so I want you to take hold of that and we're going to let you know what we'd like you to to do with that this week in just a few moments. But thank you to the worship team. Let's give these guys a hand. We appreciate you. Last Sunday morning, Rachel spoke brilliantly on the power of the Good Shepherd in learning to rest and trust in his promises. Last Sunday evening, I spoke at five o'clock on never wasting a valley, never wasting a crisis. Uh, The greatest teacher in your life is not the mountain, it is the valley. You find out more about yourself in a crisis than you do when things are going well. And so for some of you, you are on the mountain, for some of you on the valley, but right now everything is teaching you something about you. And so last week we looked at the rod is for direction and the staff is for correction. And this is such a rich message, such a rich passage. And we've been taking phrase by phrase. And the next, I want to read out this, the next verse we're going to look at today. Uh, It's verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The good news version says it like this. You You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. This was written 3,000 years ago by King David. And I think the question is, how on earth is this going to help me in uh, April 2023? And I think to understand the metaphors that David uses, we have to unpack four statements, which I want to share with us. Four statements which I hope will bring this one line to life for us uh, this day. This is the the first statement. It is, this is no ordinary banquet. 
The banquet which David is describing is no ordinary banquet. There are five unordinary things about this banquet. The first one is this, is that God is the host. It says, starts, this line starts, you. You prepare a table before me. You. David is referring to God, the good shepherd. Who knows, one of the golden rules in life is you don't accept every invitation you're invited to. True? You ever had an invitation, you're like, I need to get out of that. I need to dodge that one. Oh, I love the look of that one. Who's ever, you know, if you get invited to a party, what's the most important thing? Who's the host? Who's the host? Because the host determines the food, the location, the atmosphere. Imagine getting an invitation in the post from God. This is what David says. God is the host. You. The second thing we understand about this unordinary banquet is it is well prepared. You prepare a banquet. This is not leftovers. Give me a wave, all you leftover people. Who loves their leftovers? My wife just stacks it up in the fridge. I'm like, are we ever going to eat that? I like that verse. Give us this day our daily bread. Something about the daily food. But this is a well-prepared banquet. It's not leftovers. It's fine dining. It's been well-prepared. The word table in Hebrew means king's banquet. We've got a king's banquet, or this is a, a, a banquet from our late queen, Elizabeth II. That's a, a banqueting table. Who'd accept that banquet invitation? I think I would. The third thing about this unusual banquet is this, is you and I... We're the guests of honor. You prepare a table for me. This is for me. This is a banquet from the king to you. And you are the guest of honor. Now watch out because a twist is about to happen in the line. Have you ever watched a film and you're just waiting for the twist? True story, a few months ago, Chantal and I and the kids, we sat down and watched this, this film. Now, we don't need a lot of twist, but we need something. I mean, someone's just got to get taken or something's got to happen in the movie. All right? Just something to keep me interested, the kids interested. We sat for an hour and a half watching this film and nothing happened. I mean, it was just a beautiful family film and nothing happened. It was just this, the life of this lady. She went through the day. She went on holiday. She was loving life. I'm thinking, when is the twist going to happen? We should actually celebrate that, but we love a good twist, don't we? We want the plot to thicken quick. I'm telling you, if I start a series and the twist doesn't happen in 20 minutes, I'm turning it off. So watch out. Here comes the twist. The fourth thing is this. It's a private banquet, but it's in a public setting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are eating with the king. This is weird. And people are watching. Now, if I go to a restaurant, one of the things I like to know, I like to sit by the window, by the side. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you sit right in the center of the restaurant? And everyone's like looking at you, knocking your chair, you know, knocking your jacket off. I mean, you don't want to be in the center of the room. You want that quiet. Do you ever point, oh, is that one taken? They always say, no, that one's been reserved. <laughs> that one's been reserved. But this is a different kind of banquet. 
because God has called you to be guests at the king's table. So the first thing we learn, the first statement is this, that this is no ordinary banquet. The second thing we learn is this, and this is where the plot really thickens, is that this meal is in the presence of my enemies. The presence of my enemies. These are no ordinary guests. I mean, if you were going to throw a banquet at your house this week, I think you'd invite maybe some family members. You might invite some close friends. But who knows you don't invite your enemies to the table? Famously, in 1916, a photo emerged of British troops sharing lunch together on the battlefield. And in the middle of complete chaos and brokenness and stench, a Christmas day, they stopped, they called a truce, and a banquet table was laid out as they ate together. I mean, can you imagine sitting at that table, having some kind of Christmas lunch, but surrounded by your enemies? God is saying today, I'm going to throw a banquet for you, and all your enemies are going to stand in the restaurant and watch you dine. I'm going to throw a banquet for you in the middle of your conflict, in the middle of your exam season, in the middle of your divorce, in the middle of your career not going the way you wanted it to go. I'm going to throw a banquet for you in the middle of the mess. I'm going to show you something in your life. But before we do that, we need to understand who our enemies are. Who are the enemies that David is referring to? Because an enemy is a strong word. If you came up to me and you said, you're my enemy, that's a strong word. But David uses a strong word in this passage. He says, you prepare a table before me, a private meal in a public setting in the presence of my enemies. Well, if you're taking notes, write these three things down. You've got three enemies in life. Three enemies. First of all, I think the world is a dark place right now. The world is a dark place. The world is our enemy. Prejudices, injustices, racism, corruption, wars. The world seems to be so dark right now. It can feel like our enemy. The second enemy of our souls is the devil. There is a real invisible enemy out there called the devil and he wants to destroy people's lives. We don't talk about him much in church because we don't want to give him any credit or attention, but he is real. How do we know? Because Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to rob, to steal, and to destroy. He comes to destroy people's lives. So the question is this, why does the devil hate us so much? The devil hates us so much because God loves us so much. The devil hates anything that God loves and he hates anything that God's created. That's why he hates the church. Why the enemy is attacking the global church like now, like never before, because it's the one thing God said, on this rock I will build my church. The enemy hates the church. The enemy will do anything to keep God's children out of church every Sunday. Because he absolutely hates the church. But I think this is probably... Our third enemy is actually probably, for me, the biggest one of all. The biggest enemy is me. Have you ever heard that saying, I am my own worst enemy? How true is that? I, I would probably summarize it like this. The battle of doing what I know I shouldn't. Whoever does something they know is not good, but they continue to do it. 
two people. Well done. I congratulate you on being honest in church. Oh, I'm going to try that again. Who's ever done something they know is not good, but they continue to do it? Can I confess to something? I've been sugar-free since January the 1st, Caroline, who's a nutritionist. But this week, I walked into the cupboard and the ginger snaps were open. Ginger biscuits, they are, they're like my nemesis. Cup of tea, that's exactly that. That's exactly what happened. One, two, three. I said two, but it was really four. And I threw in the towel. But we all have, we all have ginger snaps in our lives. We all have little ginger devils that want you to eat them. And I know your ginger snap is different to my ginger snap. I know that relationship I know that relationship is not healthy. I know it's not healthy. And I know it's not good for me, but... <gasps> hey, what are you doing tonight? I know, I know that one beer, I can just handle one beer, but I know my track record is one beer always turns into more. And I always make the same mistake. And I, but I keep going back. I know that those images online are harming my marriage, but I, I just... Something I can't stop downloading. I can't stop looking at those things. Paul put it like this when he was writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I don't do the good I want to do. Here's the thing we all know the good thing to do, we know the right thing to do. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I love his honesty. I do the evil that I don't want to do. So I've kind of put a little phrase around this to help us understand it. This is the me I don't desire to be. I think we have the me we desire to be, which is kind, compassionate, forgiving, strong, brave, courageous, all those things. And then I think we have this other me, which is the me I don't desire to be. And when David was talking about his enemies, we can confuse this. We can think, oh, God wants me to be really blessed in life and he wants all my people at work who don't like me to see me getting blessed. I'm going to get blessed in the presence of my enemies and I'm going to do really well and they're going to watch me doing well. I don't think God works like that. I don't think God wants to bless you to upset someone else. I don't think that's what the heart of God. I think what God was referring to when he was talking about our enemies, I think he was referring to the things which sometimes get the better of me. So for me, I struggle with rejection. For you, it could be addiction, confusion, shame, insecurity. And we all have enemies that come and dine at our table. When we wake up in the morning, we don't feel we're good enough. Shame comes and sits at the table. When we're confused about so many things in our world right now, we can misplace our identity. Our identity can be in so many things. And I think when David was referring to his enemies, I think he was referring to the enemies of ourself. Does anyone else go, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? 
Why did I drink that? Why did I drive like that? Why, 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 why? And David is, he's really honest because David's got his own personal demons. David struggled with insecurity. When David was, when David, uh, well, David wasn't even chosen to be king. Seven of his other brothers were chosen ahead of him. He wasn't even included in the first round. This was X factor that he wasn't invited to. He'd been struggling with insecurity. He was the smallest of his seven brothers. Fear as he walked up to face Goliath. Lust as he had to overcome Bathsheba. It's when David says, in the presence of my enemies, it was personal. For you and I, it might read, in the presence of my insecurities, in the presence of my addictions, in the presence of my divorce, in the presence of my grief, in the presence of my confusion, even in the presence of my suicidal thoughts. My enemies, you are with me. And just because our enemies are around us, it doesn't mean to say they are welcome at the table. And this is where we have to make a decision today not to allow the enemy a seat at your table. Because some of you have allowed the enemy to literally pull up a seat at the table. The enemies are not called to sit at your table. They are always, you know what, fear, rejection, insecurity, they're always going to be around our lives. That's life. Okay, until we get to heaven, we can shake off some of this stuff. So that says we've got to deal with some of these things in this life. So the question isn't when will they, will they come, when will they come? And the enemy takes residence. He taunts us and he plays with our minds. This is no ordinary banquet. My enemies are invited to watch me die. Number three, this feast has purpose. Who knows there's a difference between lunch with friends and a working lunch? You go to lunch with friends, you could talk about anything. You might talk about the football, you might talk about relationships, you just go to lunch with friends and the conversation can end up anywhere. But if you have a working lunch, you have an agenda of what you want to get out of that lunch. Sometimes you can't wait to get through the food to actually talk about the real purpose of the lunch. A banquet in the Bible always represented purpose. There are two purposes for a banquet. The first one is this, uh, relationship. Relationship. God creates this extraordinary banquet for you and I because he desires to be with you. One of the most amazing truths about God is that the God who created me and knows me still wants to be with me. I'll say that again. The God who created me, he knows me, he still wants to be with me. Can you imagine if everyone in this room knew everything about one another, whether we'd really want to still be with one another? Every action, every thought, every choice. Yet God, who knows everything about me, he created me, he still invites me to his banqueting table. This is an amazing truth about God, but the question, isn't, the question for me is why. The why is because he wants to strengthen relationship. Why do you invite people around your house for dinner? Actually, for me, dinner is secondary. The primary is you want to strengthen relationship. Often the dinner is just an excuse to get people over, 
but you actually desire to strengthen relationship. God wants to strengthen relationship with you and I, especially when you and I are going through a valley in the presence of our enemies. When we're going through challenges in the world, maybe you feel like you've been attacked by the enemy or you're being attacked by yourself or wrong thinking, Song of Solomon 2.4 says this, he brings me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. When you're in shame, when you're feeling dirty, when you're feeling like you can't go on, when you're just so engulfed in fear, God is saying, I am inviting you to my banqueting table. I want you to sit down. I want you to dine with me in the presence of insecurity and shame and confusion and all the trappings that are happening around you. God, I know right now that you are with me. And God brings you to his table. God wants your enemies, the world, the devil, my other version of me, the one I wish didn't exist, to know how much he loves me. The second purpose of the banquet, first of all, it's strength in relationships. Secondly, it's a victory meal in the Bible. Whenever a banquet is thrown, it's a victory meal. One of the best things about running a marathon, and there's not many... (coughs) There really isn't. Is that you can eat whatever you want at the end because calories don't count. Okay, so you just get home and eat the ginger snaps. You can get whatever you want out of the pantry. You can just eat whatever you want because your body is craving. Is that right, Caroline? She's my, my nutritionist. She's nodding. She's saying, eat whatever you want, John. Um, for the next four days. But you know, when, when we're going through a valley when we're going through these challenges, and we're going through so much despair, when you're facing setbacks and pain and lack, there is a victory celebration coming. Now this is a test, because when you can come into church and you are feeling all those things and a whole lot more, and you throw your hands in the air, or you kneel before your creator, and you say, God, right now, in the presence of my enemies, my insecurities, my fears, my worries, in the middle of the divorce I'm going through, in the middle of the lack I have right now, and you lift your hands, and you begin to worship, and you begin to thank God in the midst of your trial, let me tell you, it is a victory sound to the enemy, to the enemy. Can you thank God for the victory when you're facing defeat. That's worship. You see, I can, if, I, if I wrote you a check right now for 100,000 pounds, I'm pretty sure you'd all give me a big hug. You'd all thank me. You'd all be jumping up and down. Because that's easy to thank someone when you've got it in your hand. But can you thank God when it looks like you're staring defeat in the face? And God is bringing us to his table. We're at his table right now. We're feasting right now. We're at his table. And he's saying, in this moment, when life looks bad, when things aren't going to plan, can you still praise me? Can you still thank me? Because that's heartfelt worship. Can you still come to the table and praise me for what's not happening in your life? Because this feast has a purpose. And finally, this is no ordinary banquet. This meal is in the presence of my enemies. This feast has a purpose. And number four is this menu is life-giving. 
If you ever go to a new restaurant, if you're anything like me, I always jump online first and check out the menu. Does anyone else do that? Four people. I'm not, I'm not going to a restaurant these days unless we check out the menu first. And this is the moment we fully understand exactly what this verse is all about. Because the Good Shepherd is saying today, when we feel surrounded, and I know many of you, you feel surrounded right now. Surrounded by your addiction, surrounded by grief, surrounded by the pain that you're struggling with. But the Good Shepherd, he invites us to come. To come. He says, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I be honest with you that I've had some of my most precious encounters with the Good Shepherd in the heat of the battle? When God calls me to his banqueting table, And he says, things don't make sense right now, but you're surrounded by your enemies, but I just want you to keep your eyes focused on the author, the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. I want you to be sat at the table and know that I'm sitting there with you. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad because I've put my faith, not in this, I put my faith in Jesus. His promise is he will never let me down. And God is saying today, who's disappointed you? Young person, who's let you down? Who's hurt you? What fear are you living with? Come, 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 come to me. You deserve a break. I've got a banquet for you. And I think this is probably our big takeaway for today. Is that our banquet is our Bible. Our banquet is our Bible. God calls this book the bread of life. Living water. Living water. God says his promises are sweeter than honey. God says that his his word is fruit to the spirit. When you're running naturally and you, you eat a banana, or you eat an orange or something sweet, something just full of goodness. It's incredible just how different you feel physically. It just completely awakens you. I did some marathon training on Monday and I had a banana halfway around. It was like, this is like, I felt completely different. You know, God's word, as much as the banana does that to the body, God's word does that to the soul. When you open this book and you begin to read that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Oh my word, suddenly your spirit, your spirit comes alive. That's why Chantel read out this morning in Psalm 34 verse 8. She said, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. The good news is we can have a feast anywhere. You don't have to just to come to church to have a meal. You can be sitting on the bus and... Just read your verse of the day on the Bible app. Come in your car on the way to work and put some worship music on. You can send up a victory sound. You can fill your mind with the presence of Jesus. And this is the message of my, the title of my message today. Jesus is saying, come dine with me. 
come dine with me. The message goes out strong today. It's not from, from Pastor John. The message is from the Good Shepherd. Come dine with me. When I feast on this book, my anger goes down. My anxiety goes down. My fever goes down. Last Sunday, I was not in a good place physically. I was really sick. And Steve and Rachel, I went up to, to my room just between services. And Rachel and Steve came in to pray for me. I didn't let anyone know apart from Chantel. And for five minutes, they just prayed for me. I said, I'm not even sure I can get on this platform. I was not well. Steve and Rachel, they ministered to me. They prayed for me for five minutes. Do you know what? Five minutes later, I was completely healed. Completely healed. Completely healed. And we can battle through and battle on, or we can taste and see the Lord is good. And my enemies, my enemy of sickness had to watch me get up and get on this platform and lead in the presence of my enemies. You know, you've got to go to work tomorrow. And your enemies are not the people sitting around you at the, the desks at work. That's not your enemies. They're people who need Jesus. Our enemies is we've got to battle anxiety and depression. We've got to battle insecurities. Some of us, it's addiction. Some of it's rejection because you're rejected by your mom or your dad or even a church. And some of us, we've got to deal with this, but we cannot deal with this alone. We've got to go to the banqueting table. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to remember that this meal has a purpose. This is a victory meal. And we begin to worship and lift our hands and say, God, I know, I know that life is not good right now, but I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for what you're going to do in my life. God wants you to sit daily this week at the table in the presence of your enemies. And we declare the word of faith. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask most of the Lord, the thing I most seek, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple, for He will conceal me. There is safety at the table when troubles come. He will hide me. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Do you know, as you... As you begin to declare and speak the Word of God, do you know what you're doing? You're literally stabbing your enemies. As you begin to confess, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, let me tell you, the, 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 the enemy of confusion has to leave the table. As you begin to declare the peace of God which surpasses your own understanding, fear has to leave the table. Who have you allowed to sit at the table of your life? What enemies have you allowed to come and dine with you? Because God is saying today, in Psalm 56, 9, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I'm going to say this again. My enemies will retreat. Come on, someone who's delivering, who's struggling with rejection today. Because as you declare the word of God, my enemies will retreat. 
when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. God is on my side. And the only two people left at the table is you and the Father and His banner over you, His banner over this meal is love and acceptance and forgiveness. There is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no insecurity. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Right now I want to speak to people. You've allowed the enemy a seat at your table. You've literally invited him in. He's taken up a seat. You're saying today I'm not going to allow fear, rejection, insecurity. That habit, I don't want them at my table anymore. This table, I'm a guest of honor. It's for me and the shepherd. Today, I'm not gonna allow anyone else to pull up a seat at this table and rob me, rob me of my divine right as a child of God. If you're struggling with an enemy right now, just slip up your hand, I wanna pray for you. Come on, let's be honest. I struggle with some fear this week, my hand's up. Come on, there's no shame in this room today. We struggle together, we're a family today. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, this feast has a purpose today. God wants to deal with some of the things, the deep-rooted things in our lives. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're in the heart, the heat of the battle right now, come on, come on. Receive His forgiveness, receive His love, receive His strength, hallelujah. I speak peace right now. I speak strength into your situation. I speak healing right now. You prepare a table before me, a table of blessing and acceptance, a table of grace, a table of mercy is prepared for you. Receive today, eat of his table, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Right now, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying there's people and fear is such an enemy of your life. Fear is an enemy of God. Fear is an enemy of God. But the good news is, the Bible says perfect love, God's perfect love, removes, casts out all fear. For some of you, you're fearful of dying. For some of you, you're fearful of getting sick. Maybe a parent got sick and you're fearful that you'll go the same way. For others of you, you're fearful of you'll never get married. But fear is a real thing for many people and it's an enemy. It's an enemy. Fearful that you can never find anyone else. Someone did something bad to you and left you single, left you with your kids and fearful that you're gonna live for the rest of your life alone. That's a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I wanna speak hope and life into everyone who's battling with fear today. Right now, if you'd be honest enough to say, I'm battling with fear. Come on, it's a real enemy. It's a real enemy. Right now, just lift up your hand. Let me speak life into you. Father God, as we lift our hands today, we are acknowledging that we feel these natural feelings, enemies of us. And Father, we pray right now for your perfect love, your perfect love to come and fill every person online in the room that is struggling with fear struggling with what tomorrow may bring. I pray, Father God, that as we speak the word of faith, Father God, Lord, that they would live in hope. They would live in positive expectation of something good in happening in their lives. I pray for sleep tonight. I pray for peace in their home, peace in their family. I come against anxiety, insomnia, stress in Jesus' name. We speak the life-giving power of Jesus right now. You are worthy of it all. Come on, one more.
So the invitation this week is open. God's restaurant is open. And he's saying to the church, come dine with me. Come dine with me. We've given you out these little cards because this is like a little menu for you this week. We want you to leave this beside your bed. And before, first thing, first thing to do before you pick up your phone or before you get out of bed is just read these. Read these 17 promises over you and your family. He is my provision. He is my healing. He is my direction. He is my teacher. He is my friend. He is my guide. He is my hope, my anointing, my abundance, my blessing, my security. He is my future. And I'm calling this the seven-day banquet with Jesus. And I want the very first thing to, to do is just to read this psalm over our, over our families. Is that okay? And then the very last thing, the very last thing, before we go to bed, before we go to sleep, I want us to read this psalm. Read this psalm over, over our lives. The first thing we do in the morning and the last thing we do before we go to sleep. Because the first thing Jesus wants us to do is come dine with Him. And the last thing He wants us to do is come dine with Him. And maybe this is just your first step to reading the Bible. This is a great first step. Maybe your Bible has just been out of action for a while. This could be your first step to opening it again. And I pray today, pray today, pray you don't feel judged for not reading your Bible. I just pray you feel really hungry. Because today is day one of our banquet. As you feast on God, I believe that he's going to bring these promises to pass. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. One of my good friends who I grew up with, Luke, Luke Brendling, him and his wife Lisa moved to the church a few months ago and he's going to be doing some ministry over the next few months and I've invited him just to come and pray for one more group of people. He's a great, he's a man of faith, loves God's word. He's going to come and pray, uh, just, just, for, just for a couple of minutes, just share and uh, encourage us to respond one more time. So come on, let's give him a hand. Wow. Hey, why don't we thank our pastor, Pastor John, for the most incredible word this morning. Fantastic. So much wisdom, so much life, so much application, so powerful. You know, John opened up his sermon that this was no ordinary banquet. And I believe that for some of you in this room this morning, that this is no ordinary Sunday. For you're about to meet God in a personal way. And so if I could have every head bowed and every eye closed, Christians in prayer, no one leaving the building. Pastor John talked about God's love in the middle of that message, that He loves you, that we were created to be in relationship with Him. And how do we know that to be true? Well, because the Bible tells us that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect person to walk this earth, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. He took our sin, our shame, our guilt, our insecurities, our addictions. He took it to the grave. But the Bible also declares, it boldly declares that three days later, the grave could hold him no more and Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. And in doing so, he would break through the chains of sin. He would smash through the bonds of death and he would make a way. He would make a way for you and I to be loved, accepted and forgiven. The Bible calls it the gift of salvation. You cannot buy this gift. You cannot earn this gift. 
You cannot work for this gift. No, the Bible tells us that we are to repent of our sins, which means we are to say sorry to God for all the bad things we've done and we turn our life towards Him. We reach out in faith and we invite Him to be the Lord and Saviour of our heart. And so right now, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. Whether you're in this room or watching online, if I'm speaking to you this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hands so that we as a church can simply lead you through a simple prayer of faith to invite Jesus Christ to come alive in you. Maybe you've never made this decision before. Perhaps it's the first time you've ever come to church and you don't fully understand it all, but you know, you know that you want to be at that banqueting table with God. Or perhaps once upon a time you backslid and you walked away. But today, God is knocking on the walls of your heart and you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you on three, would you be brave and bold enough to slip up your hands this morning. Here we go, church. One, two, three. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you at the back there. Wonderful. Anyone else join these people? That's it. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Come on. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as I said, we're going to lead you through a simple prayer of faith and every single one of us, we're gonna pray it together as a church family. So if you could, nice and loud from the depths of your heart, would you repeat this prayer after me? Even if you didn't raise your hand, but you knew you should have done, I want you to pray too. So come on church, let's pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sins and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to trust and live for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's give those people. And our God, a round of applause. Oh, come on, church. You know, I love hearing the Word of God. I love worshiping. But when we see people give their hearts to Jesus, that puts the biggest smile on my face. You know, the Bible says that when we make that decision to invite Jesus to come into our heart, all of heaven starts rejoicing. There's a party going on in heaven because of the decision you just made. It's excellent. Now, there would have been some of our team that would have been keeping a sneaky eye open only because we want to give you a gift. And it's a Bible. And John, Pastor John eloquently spoke about it. This is our menu. And there's a lot to feast on in this word. And please, if you made that decision today, allow one of our team to to give you this gift. And even if you didn't raise your hand, there'll be team out in the foyer as well. And go up to them, be bold and say, look, I made that decision today too. And could I have a Bible? And start reading it. (laughs) Start reading it. I know it sits nicely on the coffee table but start reading it. It will change your life. And can I give you two other pieces of advice? Tell someone. Tell someone. Tell the person that brought you to church. Tell them you made that decision today. 
ring your, ring your parents or ring your friend when you get home this afternoon. When you walk into the workplace tomorrow, say, hey, I met Jesus on the weekend. I was speaking to a, a man who 40 years ago gave his life to Christ. And he said, Luke, the first thing I did when I got home that Sunday, I rang my mom. I went into work the next day and I told people I met Jesus. Everyone thought I was crazy. But let me encourage you, it will build your faith. And lastly, keep coming back to church. We'll be here every week with open arms, waiting to see you, 9 and 11, 5 p.m. And we'd love to see you here again, okay? Well, God bless you, church. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.